Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Every Wednesday, we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. You are listening to the Good Dog Pod. I am Dr. Michael Delgado, your host from Good Dog's Health Standards and Research Team. Today, we are here with Dr. Tyler Jordan. He is a man of many degrees. He has a Bachelor of Science in Marine Biology from, I hope I say this correctly, Dalhousie University. Yeah, yeah, okay. got it. Yeah. Good. <laughs> then he went on to earn his degree in veterinary medicine from the University of Guelph's Ontario Veterinary College. He completed a three-year residency in veterinary dermatology at the UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine before heading to North Carolina State University to work on a PhD in comparative biomedical sciences, in which he is still in progress. Dr. Jordan has written several articles about canine and feline dermatology, pathology, and on providing pro bono preventative veterinary care for animals owned by those who are homeless and marginally housed. We've been very eager to have a veterinary dermatologist on the podcast for some time now, so I invited Dr. Jordan to the Good Dog Pod because August is Itchy (laughs) Dog Month at Good Dog. I think it's Itchy Pet Awareness Month in the broad veterinary community. So, Dr. Jordan, thank you so much for joining us on the Good Dog Pod. Yeah, I'm so, so glad to be here. And when you said that it was Itchy Pet Awareness Month in August, like, what's the color of the ribbon? Like, what ribbons are we wearing <laughs> during August, right? I don't know. But thank you so much for the invitation. Really happy to be here. Yeah, and whatever color the ribbon, I bet it will make my wrist itchy is like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. maybe you'll leave some color of red. Yeah. Some yes. color of red. <laughs> Perfect. So I like to get to know my guests a little bit first. Yep. So maybe tell us why you ended up in veterinary medicine and why dermatology. Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. So I'm originally from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. I like to think that my oot and the boots have kind of blended into the background. They're not as apparent. I've been in the States for eight years. But I grew up in a family with a lot of health professionals. So my father's an ophthalmologist. My uncle is a family physician. My grandfather's a dentist. My mother and two of my aunts were nurses. So I kind of grew up in various capacities within, you know, a medical family. Like I have memories growing up of like sitting with my dad's nurses while I gets called in to do emergency consults. And I've worked in my dad's office in varying capacities, and I always had an interest in what my dad was doing and the cases he was seeing. And so, you know, like as many of us are exploring like what direction our lives are going to take as we enter like our undergraduate degree, our bachelor's degree, I was always drawn to more courses that were oriented in animals. That interest was reflected in my personal life, in my day-to-day personal life. Whereas like, you know, when you're visiting the household of a relative or friends, like I always gravitated towards the dog or the cat. Yeah. And so sometimes I'd spend like more time with the pets than I would actually do with the actual people. And, And so, yeah, right, right. I feel like a lot of people can relate to that. And so after my undergrad, I did two internships in wildlife rehabilitation, one in Ireland, one in British Columbia. And it was then that I felt pretty solid in wanting to pursue veterinary medicine, marrying my interest in animals as well as medicine together. It just seemed like a natural progression. And so why veterinary dermatology? You know, while I was completing my veterinary degree, I knew I wanted to pursue more advanced clinical training. I knew I wanted to gain an in-depth expertise and knowledge in one particular field. And throughout vet school, I was exploring a lot of different specialties. There was a time when I wanted to be a veterinary cardiologist. I wanted to become a veterinary ophthalmologist, an emergency and critical care specialist. And it wasn't until my clinical rotations in my last year, as well as when I was doing my rotating internship before my residency at Ohio State, that I was first exposed to veterinary dermatology. 
And a few things that I gravitate towards in that field. Number one, it's a field that's incredibly visual. So mm -hmm. all of the things that we're worried about, we can readily see with the naked eye, we can touch. Mm -hmm. And as many people listening to this podcast, you can also smell all the skin lesions too. So I'm a very visual learner and I liked how easy and how dramatic some of the diseases that we see routinely were. A lot of skin diseases, we can make dramatic improvements in an animal's quality of life, the owner's quality of life, as well as the general appearance of that animal relatively quickly. And then I would say, unfortunately, the vast majority of skin diseases that we see in companion animals, at present, we don't have the ability to cure, but we can manage them for the duration of an animal's life. We can provide animals with skin disease a high quality of life, making them as comfortable as possible for as long as possible. But that usually has to take place over the duration of an animal's life. And in doing so, we build strong relationships with not only the pets, but their owners as well. And so I found developing those strong and lasting relationships with the animals I was seeing, as well as the owners, to also be rewarding. So it wasn't kind of like, I saw you one time and I never see you again. We get to follow that animal further and sometimes see them grow up, you know, which I really enjoyed. That is why I pursued veterinary dermatology per se. Nice. Very nice. I had no idea. We're going to have a guest in a few weeks who she does research on the effects of having an itchy pet on the owner, like the oh, psychological yeah. kind of yeah. difficulties. So I'm, I'm excited to learn more about that. I hadn't really considered the impact on the owner seeing their pet itch all the time. Yeah, it's yeah. a huge, huge problem. Well, it's a multifactorial problem. It's not only impacting the animal, but the owners who, you know, oftentimes feel helpless and sure. hopeless while trying to provide relief. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. What is the life of a veterinary dermatologist like? Like, what is your day-to-day -day when you're working with itchy pets? I would say the first barrier, when I first start talking to people about what I do, they're like, oh, what are you? I'm like, I'm a veterinarian. And then they're like, oh, you know, small or large animals. I'm like, oh, anything with a skin problem. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people don't realize that veterinarians can also specialize to the same extent as human physicians do. Right. So for an average veterinary dermatologist, the majority of the cases that we see are composed of dogs and cats with dogs making up the lion's share of that. Yeah. And depending on the type of clinic you're working in, especially if you're working in a vet school, you are also times asked to consult on essentially any species with a skin problem. So when I was doing my residency at UC Davis, that included horses, cows, pigs, goats, sheep, hamsters, like I saw a red-tailed hawk once, right? Like what? anything with a skin problem that comes to us. Yeah. And so the majority of cases are all referred in by family veterinarians. So, you know, generally speaking, if a dog owner notices a problem in their dog, you know, either they're limping or there's diarrhea or there's a skin problem, they usually first go to their family vet where they get vaccines, spays and neuters. And generally speaking, for dogs with skin disease, the dogs that I see, family vets have tried a variety of different treatments. Mm -hmm. And either that animal's skin disease is completely unresponsive or the disease gets better but comes back once the medications are stopped. Mm -hmm. And for owners in those situations, when either we have a skin problem that doesn't respond to treatment or keeps on coming back, that's oftentimes when they come referred to us. And so part of our day-to-day -day, in between seeing appointments is trying to get uh, a handle on everything that has happened before that animal comes in, right? Like what yeah. has been tried? When did this start? 
And again, the majority of dogs, we see a lot of dogs and the majority have varying issues with itch. Like that is by far the predominating problem, but there is also sprinkling of cats, other species. And then again, a lot of these cases are also referred in because things haven't been working with the family vet. That's the population of dogs that we see as veterinary dermatologists. Great. Well, let's talk about canine atopic dermatitis. What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. So as I kind of alluded to, this is the most common skin disease that we see in dogs. And depending on the time of year and where you practice can take upwards of like 75% of your caseload. So canine atopic dermatitis is also commonly referred to as like environmental skin allergies. Some of the podcast listeners may have heard it described in that way. And it's a disease that actually bears a lot of resemblance to eczema in humans. So canine atopic dermatitis, environmental skin allergies, whatever you want to call it, is a chronic skin disease that waxes and wanes that's associated with moderate to severe itch as well as skin inflammation. And so what this usually looks like, you know, generally speaking, dogs with this disease first show signs between the age of one to three, and they either have varying degrees of licking, scratching, chewing, biting, rolling, rubbing, or scooting that involves generally, and doesn't have to include all of these areas, the ears, around the eyes, the mouth, in between the toes of all four feet, tops and bottoms. They can chew their inner wrists. They can nibble the inside of their front legs, like their corn cobs, scratching and rash, armpits and groin. So that's kind of like the textbook picture of what canine atopic dermatitis looks like. And as an animal is like self-traumatizing is scratching, they're breaking down their skin's normal defense mechanisms. And then we run into secondary bacterial and yeast infections in all of those sites. And so... Classically, dogs are usually prescribed various treatments, and usually the signs will resolve with antibiotics or anti-itch medications, and classically, they always come back once those medications are stopped. Yeah, (laughs) and these signs can first start very early in life. Sometimes they're either seasonal, so there's certain times of the year where it's worse than others. In other dogs, it's a year-round problem. And in some dogs, what was once a seasonal problem becomes a year-round problem with age. Mm -hmm. And we know that as an animal gets older, the symptoms become more and more severe with time. So what was once a dog that only maybe got like a mild ear infection here and there as a puppy is now licking, scratching, chewing, biting year-round their whole life years down the road. And I guess, you know, the problem that we have is we can recognize this disease that, well, veterinary dermatologists that are trained to recognize it, it's not a challenging diagnosis to make, but the how and why this disease occurs is, is less clear. So it's believed that dogs with atopic dermatitis, their skin doesn't do as good enough job at preventing things in the environment from penetrating into the body. Like normal skin should be a pretty solid barrier with nothing can penetrate through. Whereas in dogs with atopic dermatitis, that skin, there's some dysfunction. It's not as rigid of a barrier. And so things that are normally within the environment, like pollens from grasses, trees, weeds, house dust mites, not only land on the skin, but then penetrate deep down and trigger an allergic reaction, which can get worse with time. And then another like key feature of atopic dermatitis is there's 
very well-defined breed predispositions. There's several breeds that we see very regularly with the problems I just listed. So like we see a lot of golden retrievers, Labrador retrievers, German shepherd dogs, French bulldogs, West Highland white terriers, and like pit bull or bully breeds. Those are the ones that I see most commonly. It's not that we can't see it in other breeds, but those are like the most common dogs. For people that are unfamiliar with atopic dermatitis, that's kind of like my quick Wikipedia. Sorry, sure. quick. I use with air quotes, but that's <laughs> kind of what we mean when we talk about that disease. Yeah. And I think what's confusing to a lot of us, well, I mean, now that you've explained kind of the skin barrier issue, it makes sense. But the fact is that the dogs can present similarly, right? They're itchy, they've got redness, but there could be several different causes. So how do you then determine, is it pollen? Is it ear mites? Is it X, Y, or Z. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So itch is the most common symptom that we are seeing in the clinic. And there's a lot of different diseases in which itch can be a component. And the skin has a relatively limited vocabulary. And what I mean by that is that it has only so many ways to respond that we can detect to a vast number of diseases. And so part of putting on our Nancy Drew hat to try and like figure out what the underlying problem is, is there's a few things that we concern. One of the first things that we do when we have a dog that's presenting with itch is getting a very thorough understanding of the history. When did the itch start? What parts of the body are affected? Because distribution or like what parts of the body are really important aspect of us prioritizing what diseases we think are at play or our top differentials. What has been done in the past? How has an animal responded to treatment? And are the problems seasonal or non-seasonal? So one of the first things that we do when we hear itch is trying to get a sense of the history. And we're oftentimes, you know, relying on a dog owner's ability to perceive these things because I can get hints from the dermatologic exam, but there's so much in dermatology that's based on getting an accurate representative history from the owner. And then, so let's say we have a dog that's presenting with itch, rash, ears, eyes, mouth, paws, armpits, and I, my spidey sense is tingling that we may have canine atopic dermatitis. I can't look at a dog and diagnose that at the first visit. There's a few hoops that we need to jump through. And so whenever I'm presented with an itchy dog, getting an idea of the history, but one of the first things that I want to rule out or at least evaluate for are secondary bacterial and yeast infections Mm, because those are common complications when an animal's licking, chewing, biting, they're breaking down their skin's defense mechanisms. And we oftentimes see bacterial and yeast infections, which oftentimes makes the disease much, much worse. Okay. So So that's not the cause of the problem, but it's exacerbating it. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Although... It's kind of a bit of a Pandora's box. People are looking into like the microbiome and how do the normal populations of bacteria influence the development of atopic dermatitis. That's like a whole other can of worms I won't get into, but (laughs) bacterial and yeast infections are a secondary problem. They do not cause atopic dermatitis. They are a result of it and make it much worse. So we want to evaluate for those as well as treat them appropriately. Number two is I want to make sure that an animal as a dog, as well as every animal in the house is on appropriate flea control because fleas are known to be an allergic trigger and can Mm. dial up any kind of itch inflammation that's present. And a lot of the flea control products that we use treat a number of other parasites. So just making sure that we're ruling out parasites more globally, different types of mange mites, lice, fleas, that's another thing that I just want to take off the table. And then lastly, 
Once you evaluate for secondary infections, potential parasites, then is this a dog with atopic dermatitis? Is this a dog with food allergies? Mm. Or is it a combination of the two? Because dogs with food allergies can look identical to dogs with atopic dermatitis. And so another hoop that we jump through or the way that we kind of figure out which disease play is oftentimes screening an animal for a food allergy with an elimination diet trial. So I guess the short way of answering the question is how do we figure out what diseases are at play, getting an accurate history, mm-hmm. getting hints on a dermatologic exam, as well as seeing how animals respond to different therapeutic trials. You know, if I get them on appropriate flea control, if I treat the infections, what do things look like afterwards? When I peel back those layer of the onion, you know, what does it look like underneath? All right, everyone, you are listening to the Good Dog Pod. We'll be right back. Your Litter A to Z is the leading science-based course for dog breeders. It includes expertly designed 18 modules, checklists, and reports that cover before breeding, getting your bitch pregnant, whelping your litter, and raising your pups. This course usually costs $479, but you can access it for free when you join Good Dog. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. Okay. And that's a perfect segue into my next question, which is really, can we talk about food allergies? Because yeah. I think, and I don't know if it's because like, okay, food is something you can control, right? I can't control what trees and pollen are outside right. my house or what allergens might be blown around. But I think people feel like, oh, I can control food. And I do feel like they are blamed a lot for skin problems. Are they a likely cause? Should people be like experimenting with diet before they see a veterinarian if their dog is itchy or like what's likely behind a food allergy leading to maybe an itchy dog? How would people even approach that? Yeah, that's a great question. And before I dive into my answer for that, whenever we're approached with an itchy dog, dogs that develop allergies are predisposed to developing several allergies. So when I talk Mm. about food allergies, flea allergies, atopic dermatitis, environmental allergies, it's not so much that a dog only has one or the other, Mm -hmm. but they can have a combination of all of the above plus secondary infections. And whenever we're approaching an itchy dog, it's important that we address all the reasons as to why an animal may be itching. So let's say for sake of argument, we have a dog with food allergy, environmental allergy, as well as infections. If we only treat the infections, things may get better, but we won't resolve the problem. If we only put an animal on an elimination diet trial, but don't control the atopic dermatitis and the infections, again, we're not going to have a successful outcome. So oftentimes we're trying to identify, there's oftentimes a lot of things that are contributing to an animal's itch. It's not so much just one. And so part of the way that we're figuring out what the issues are is by casting a broad net and eliminating one problem, one thing at a time. But oftentimes it's multifactorial, meaning I can't just change the food and everything's going to go away if a dog has other problems that we're not addressing and treating. Now, with respect to food allergies, I mean, this is one of the most common things that people look into. You know, when I see dogs on referral basis, you know, they've tried all of these different diets. They've done blood testing for food allergies. They've removed the chicken and things are no better or no worse. So dogs with food allergies can develop an allergic reaction to things within their diet after eating the same diet for five, six, seven years. There does not have to be a change in their food for them to develop an allergic reaction to something in the same diet they've eaten their whole life down the road. Wow. So 
oftentimes it's either the protein or carbohydrate source that an animal develops an allergic reaction to. So in dogs, the most common food allergies are to beef, dairy products, chicken, wheat, and lamb. Those are the top things that they can develop a food allergy to. What are symptoms that may suggest an animal has a food allergy? There's a number. So Number one, dogs with food allergies can look identical to dogs with atopic dermatitis. So ear infections, itch, paws, eyes, armpits, groin. Dogs with food allergies can also develop chronic GI signs, right? Like that makes more sense. Vomiting, (laughs) diarrhea, yeah, yeah, gassiness, chronic recurrent anal gland impactions or infections. Sometimes just even you know, having more than three poops per day has been associated with a food allergy. Or just if you're like hanging out at home with your dog and you can hear your dog's stomach rubbling in the biz, that's what we call borborygmus, you know, that has also been associated with food allergies. Dogs with food allergies can also develop hives, just like hives from top to bottom after eating something that they're allergic to. The reality is for dogs that I see, so dogs that have cutaneous manifestations of food allergies. I'm not talking about just GI signs, but cutaneous manifestations. Roughly 10 to 25% of dogs that have itch may have underlying food allergy, but that doesn't mean that their itch is coming exclusively from a food allergy, right? It could also be fleas. It could also be infections. It can also be pollen and mold. So the way that we approach this can be very confusing, especially because there's a number of laboratories out there that offer sera or blood testing or saliva testing to screen animal for food allergies. But with the tests that are currently available, these are completely unreliable. So you can get the test result that says, based off of a blood test, your dog is allergic to chicken, and you can feed that dog chicken, and there will be no flare. So the blood test that we have for food allergies, completely unreliable. So I guess when I start to think about screening an animal for a food allergy is when I have a dog that comes in, in which they're experiencing some degree of itch, they have concurrent GI signs. And it's a year-round problem because, you know, people aren't necessarily switching the diet depending on the season. That tells me that I probably want to screen mammal for a food allergy. We also think of food allergies as manifesting younger in life. So if I have a dog that's developing skin problems beneath the age of one year, that would also be a reason as to why I might recommend screening an animal for a food allergy as one of many flare factors that may be contributing to their overall skin health. And so this also leads into another complication is like, what diet do you use to screen for an animal for a food allergy? A lot of people are just, you know, choosing diets over the counter. And we oftentimes have to use a prescription hypoallergenic diet because despite what the labels will tell you on over-the-counter diets, you know, this is only salmon and sweet potato, or this is only goat and lentil or whatever. Oftentimes over-the-counter diets are contaminated with other protein sources that are not on the label while they're manufactured. This is not to say they have salmonella or, you know, there's some recall, but unless those manufacturers are like disassembling their machines or steam cleaning them, they're cleaning them down, there's bound to be a little bit of something that they made before that ends up in the bag that you're feeding your dog. So whenever we're doing a diet trial to screen animal for food allergy, we usually do it with a prescription hypoallergenic diet that contains proteins and carbohydrates that that animal's never been fed before. And we're feeding that for at least eight weeks before reintroducing the former diet. So I think food allergies gets more attention than it probably should because relatively, it's not the most common cause for itch. And from my personal experience, 
dogs that have food allergies also have atopic dermatitis, also have flea allergies. So it's just one piece of the puzzle that I think is important that people address, but I think it gets a lot more attention than it probably should. Not that it shouldn't be addressed, but I just think that people focus on that disproportionately. That's what I suspected, which is why we wanted to ask you about it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Good Dog Pod listeners, hope you enjoyed the first half of our interview with Dr. Tyler Jordan. We will be back next week with the second half, so be sure to tune in. We'll be talking even more about veterinary dermatology. 